0: hello and welcome back to the fire starters podcast i am colin here with joe on july 22nd a thursday with handcuff running backs and team usa basketball let's chop it up Lydia, I love when it's hot. all right joe so let's get into handcuff running backs for this upcoming 2021 season and beyond i heard you have some categories for us
1: yeah just based on kind of trends that go along in the league uh we've got uh running backs based on their workload really doesn't matter who's in the backfield for these they're going to be getting a lot of carries they're kind of drive the offense and then we've got running back situations that are kind of based around the offensive scheme Uh, some running backs to look at based on talent and then a couple question marks that you want to keep your eyes on throughout the season so we can start off first with running backs based off of workload alone Uh, you've got the two main toters of the league in dalvin cook and derrick henry so Starting off with Dalvin, uh, his handcuff is Alexander Madison. Last year, he really only filled in for two and a half games. Uh, Week five after Dalvin went out in Seattle, after putting up, like I think, 19 fantasy points, Alexander Madison came in and played second half, and he still finished with 16.6. Very respectable, especially for playing half of a game. And then he got the full start week six next week against Atlanta. He put up a measly four points on 26 yards, 10 attempts. Uh, the score was 20 nothing at half. They got trounced by the 0-5 Falcons that week. Um, ended up 40-23. Really not much to say other than game script went away. Obviously, if you still have Dalvin in the game, you're still going to try to get him the ball in passing uh, situations. But... Really didn't happen with Madison. And then his last start was week 17. They arrested Dalvin and he just demolished Detroit. 21 carries, 96 yards on the ground. And then he was three for three, 50 receiving yards and touchdown through the air. Uh, he just ate him apart. So the production is there when Dalvin's not there because the running back is so much of the offense. You're getting him work on all three downs and Madison hasn't had to do it much, but based on last year alone, it's still safe to start him if anything were to happen to Cook.
0: I I think I remember that Atlanta game because I had Madison in a DFS lineup and was pretty disappointed when he (laughs) dropped that four points for me. But it seems like he's kind of one of the the main handcuffs that you want to have when it comes to this lot of guys, he's super talented and kind of has that slasher style and fits in well when when he needs to, when he needs to fill in for Dalvin. Decent pass catcher, uh, but only 25 catches over the two seasons. Usually those backup running backs might come in as like a third down guy and get a couple catches, but it seems like they've used him pretty sparingly and even like opted for Amir Abdullah to fill that role. So he's he's more of a traditional guy uh can get some catches when he's the main guy like those those couple weeks that you mentioned with that four catches for 50 yards when they willingly insert him into the passing game then um he can he can do it but it doesn't look like they're actively trying to include him in the passing game. So outside of times when Dalvin is not playing for one reason or another. It, it, I mean, there's no reason to use Alexander Madison in fantasy, but great, 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 great handcuff.
1: And, and that's the tough part with most of these handcuffs. They're relatively not going to have any production outside of filling in for the main guy. Um, there are a couple cases, like with the 49ers, where it's kind of a carousel. Uh, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, but yeah, he, the only time you really see him on the field is if Dalvin had like a 60 yard run and got caught before the end zone and has to come out for a play because he can't breathe that that's when you'll see Alexander Madison get a carry or some sort of target. Uh, but yeah, like you said, other than just having him as a handcuff alone, uh, he really doesn't have much fantasy value.
0: Right, so let's move on to our second guy in this category who is the backup to, I'd say, the best running back in the league, and he toted for 2,000-plus yards last year.
1: Yes, sir. Um,
0: And obviously we're talking about Darrington Evans. If if
1: you want to start here. (laughs) Yeah, my only note, for this is that King Henry is invincible. The man had multiple 200-yard rushing games. He's he gets over 300 carries a year and he doesn't get hurt. But I've been hearing a lot of things lately that Darlington Evans has been looking promising that if anything were to happen that he could fill into that role and take that three down back. I I don't know if they even have another running back on the roster. And it's, it's a pretty clear cut that Darrington is the number two back on the team. Uh, but again, you rarely see Dalvin Cook get hurt and King Henry doesn't get hurt. So he, that Darrington Evans handcuff is in a lot of situations just a wasted roster spot. But if Henry ever were to go down, I think you want to try to get your in on him and see if you can strike gold on the Darrington Evans.
0: Yeah, I think the only way you're getting production from Darrington Evans is if Derrick Henry is load managing, because I I don't think that Derrick Henry is gonna go down anytime soon. You see these workout videos where he's balancing on a rubber band and like dribbling a medicine ball while. Benching a human being in his other hand. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, well, yeah, I think he'll be okay. I I don't think there's anything that he is not prepared for that can happen on a football field. And I think he's bigger than 90% of the defensive players in the league. So Darrington Evans would be a fantastic uh, option if derrick henry decided to hold out for a contract but i i can't see a lot of situations where derrick henry gets hurt i'm gonna knock on some wood because i love watching derrick henry and i wouldn't want to jinx anything
1: yeah i think it would be cool to see him get a week 18 rest this year and like if, if the titans are so solid in their playoff spot that just like madison last year Got that week 17 against Detroit. If I just want to see what e- Evans can do, he hasn't really seen the field like that. It'll be nice being able to watch some preseason football finally, so you can actually see what he can do with touches. Um, but other than that, you really don't have much to go off of. But I have heard, keep an eye on Darrington Evans,
0: yeah. Also, with all of these super heavy carry. Derrick Henry seasons and then the added game, you might see a little more Darrington Evans just so you can save Derrick's legs a little bit for the playoffs. So I was kind of half joking when I said load management earlier, but it would be kind of smart of Rabel to kind of ease Derrick Henry's workload a little bit because having fresh legs going into the playoffs is a lot more important than rushing titles.
1: And it's also something you kind of see as seasons go it's you always hear that the december games into january that is when henry comes alive it the games are getting colder you want to run that ball and that's really when they lean on him so you see his production always tick up when those colder months come around so yeah i agree i think it would be smart for them to take the load off a little and actually see what you can get with the second guy and if all of a sudden you can get you know, five to ten carries and still get away with the same production that Henry gives off, I think it could be valuable throughout an entire season. So outside of those two guys, uh, we'll take a little look at some of the offenses where uh, running backs seem to do well no matter who's thrown into the position. Uh, two main teams really are the 49ers and the Rams. Had Cam Akers go down. Hurts my heart. Like, Tuesday? Tuesday may have been the best day of my life, right? Bucks win the 2021 ship. Well, I think Cam Akers tears his Achilles. And so, in the 2020 season, Daryl Henderson kind of started out as the lead back. Uh, Akers finished the season and the playoffs as lead back. Um, so... They've got a guy that knows the offense. They've got a guy that was productive in that offense. Um, so last year in six games when Henderson had 12-plus rushing attempts, he averaged 5.12 yards per carry. Uh, in those games, he had three rushing touchdowns and one receiving touchdown. So you'll still get similar production. We don't know what a bell cow version of Acres looks like because they really ran by committee last year. Some games it was Henderson, some games it was Akers, and some games it was Malcolm Brown. But this year McVay made it an emphasis that Akers was going to be that three down back. And now with him being injured, I think they'll still push Henderson into that role to be the three down back. Because you've got guys that have never seen an NFL field behind Henderson. Um, I think it's what, Jake Funk? And Xavier Jones.
0: I, that's, the, both of those sound right. I'm pretty impressed.
1: You know that Rams backfield is going to be heavily leaning on Anderson. So it's going to be high scoring offense. And the Russian production is going to be centered around one guy. Now that Akers is gone, um, still a lot of time. Before the season starts, they could bring in another guy. I know Todd Gurley's name was floating out there to be brought back. I know Adrian Peterson is still out there, wants to keep playing. But as of right now, Dale Henderson is probably an RB2 just in that Rams offense.
0: The reason we decided on this podcast topic was because of Cam Akers' unfortunate injury um which kind of vaulted Daryl Henderson into this position where we figured we we should just kinda go talk about it. We had this slated for at some point and then this happens and it's like, well who who else could you get where if anything happens, that this is a guy? And Daryl Henderson was one of the more productive running backs in the early part of last season on a, like a yards per carry basis. But they really hammered that running back by committee last year. And it was kind of a guessing game who was going to go off which week, who was going to get the goal line carries and so on. And that could have ended up even being Robert Woods.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, a guy that's, He's, they throw him in the backfield. They run the jet sweeps for him. They like getting him the ball with a head of steam. So, again, it'll be interesting. McVeigh is very creative, but I, I would think they would go more traditional. I don't know if they'd ever want to try doing something crazy, but you'll probably see Robert Woods in the backfield more than you would have with Akers healthy.
0: Yeah, I agree. And um, with this, uh, the Stafford-centered offense, I think – Henderson is gonna be the main guy toting the rock, so I I agree that he'll probably be an RB two. I'm interested to see how that Rams offense operates without their expected bell cow in Cam Akers.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of time till the season starts. Uh, you figure to see Henderson get up to speed if you were at all behind acres and i'm sure it hinders the rams volatility Uh, but i think the rams as an offense is still gonna go up and down fields no matter who they're playing and you're sure to see henderson getting all the goal line carries which is always nice with a running back speaking of like a carousel of running backs like you mentioned, the Rams used last year. The San Francisco 49ers are the definition of carousel running backs. Uh, last year, you see in the likes of Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., Jarek McKinnon, Jamichael Hasty, all guys get opportunity to rush 10-plus times in games. And there was success up and down this backfield last year. And now you add Trey Sermon, the rookie. Uh, You add Wayne Gallman, who filled in for Saquon last year and the year before, who was productive in both of those situations. Uh, They lost Jarek McKinnon to the Chiefs. But that backfield, almost every week, turned out a guy with 10-plus points. Week one, Mostert. 26.10 points. McKinnon, 14.7. Week two, Mostert, 19.7. McKinnon, 13.7. Week three, Jeff Wilson Jr., 21.9. McKinnon, 16.7. Week four, McKinnon, 22.7. Week five, Mostert, 14.9. Week seven, Jeff Wilson Jr., 32. Week eight, McKinnon, 14.9. Week nine, McKinnon, 15.8. Week 12, Mostert, 10.3. Week 15, Jeff Wilson Jr., 13. 16, Wilson Jr., 27.4. 17, Wilson Jr., 23.8. Somehow the 49ers can just throw any guy off the street into this offense and he can rush close to 100 yards in a touchdown. And not to mention, most of them are relatively good pass catchers. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see who even leads this backfield right out the gates. Mostert's been tending to a minor knee injury. Jeff Wilson Jr. is out, I think, four to six weeks still.
0: Expected to miss first six weeks.
1: Yeah. So who knows who's going to lead this backfield at any point. Like, you could still see Trey Sermon all of a sudden take over for a four-week span and be super productive. So it's going to be interesting to see this is – going to be tough to rally all the troops in this backfield on one roster. I myself am close (laughs) having drafted Trey Sermon. I've got Reed Mostert. I've got Jeff Wilson Jr. On my IR. Um, This rushing attack for the 49ers last few years has just been volatile. No matter who's been in that backfield, the hardest thing is guessing which one. So if injuries start taking a hit and it's narrowing, and you get one or two healthy guys, the odds of them being productive are really high.
0: Yeah, and a name you didn't mention, uh, Elijah Mitchell, they also drafted uh, this past draft class, and so I'm sure he'll be a part of that turnstile, but it's all about this, this Shanahan system that 100%. Has, has been created. And McVeigh uses that system, and you saw that running back room last year. And I am sure the Jets will be using that system. We will not be mentioning any of their running backs (laughs) (laughs) on this podcast. But you got like Michael Carter, Michael P Ryan, them over there. We won't worry about that. If you want to dabble, go ahead, but we're not.
1: not If I'm if I'm taking a guy to run the ball on the jets, I would be taking Zach Wilson because (laughs) I have on, she's going to be doing a lot of rushing for that offense.
0: Yeah. But, but, um, saying, saying over here, it's like this, uh, Trey sermon was productive back at Ohio state for the few games that he filled in for master Teague. And it was like, well, how high is this guy going to get drafted? Even though he only played a few games in the, in the, like towards the end of the college football season. and, Then here we are, he got second round draft capital and it looks like in this perfect system, he might be one of the more productive guys in this system, given that Brahim Mostert has had his injury problems as of late, but he's looking to head that backfield and we'll see how long that lasts.
1: Yeah, Mostert, 29, six years of experience and before he really landed in San Francisco, he was kind of a journeyman. He never found a spot to stick. So all of a sudden at the back end of 2019, he just starts exploding for these massive games. And then you just assumed that was just going to continue to carry over. And it did for the first two weeks of the 2020 season. And then boom, injuries. And when he came back later in the year, he was not that good. Uh, that's why you've seen Jeff Wilson Jr. taking over. Those last four weeks of the season, because Mostert's production was down. So, until this entire backfield is either healthy, or until the entire backfield is injured and there's one guy left, uh, you're not going to get many answers. I don't think. Stemming more out of the whole scheme, offense that kind of creates productive running backs. Uh, there's there's a couple. Here's of guys that just based on talent alone, if they get the opportunity, they could be really productive in starting roles. If the lead back were to go down, one of them being a guy that's had many cups of coffees with both of our teams, a guy near and dear to your heart, uh, (laughs) Tony Pollard, please take it away. Yeah. So
0: if you look at the sleeper history on Tony Pollard, it's a long list of added to waivers, by me and drop two waivers by me, maybe 15 sets of that. Yeah. He is a pretty electric player when he gets the chance to play, which isn't very often because Zeke has actually been a pretty steady presence in that Cowboys offense. They use him as a receiving back because Zeke isn't a great receiver. He's good, but Pollard kind of, the slashing back in that offense where he's getting like 4.8 yards per carry, which is really solid. And, um, he's playing, played about half the snaps that Zeke played last year. Um, but if he gets at least 14 touches, he's getting 20.7 PPR fantasy points a game and I think that was over a five-game sample size because he often doesn't get that Mm -hmm. many touches. Um, But he's getting about 95 yards per game when he gets those 14 or more touches. He averages uh, negative 1.8 air yards per game, so he's usually catching (laughs) the ball behind the line of scrimmage, which makes a lot of sense. But he gets eight and a half yards after the catch. So he's making a lot out of the opportunities that he's getting in the receiving game. And he played one full game um, where Zeke did not play due to a calf injury. He had 31.2 PPR points against the San Francisco defense in week 15. uh, And that was on 18 touches which is, is pretty solid. He had 12 rushes for 69 yards and two touchdowns and six catches for 63 yards. And so you can kind of see that Tony Pollard has this high ceiling, and he isn't going to hit it behind Zeke in any circumstances, but if he gets a situation where Zeke were to like get suspended again, or if he went down with injury or if Tony Pollard ends up going to a team that needs a running back, he could be extremely productive just based on these small sample
1: sizes. Yeah, imagine if he goes to the Jets mm. and just takes over that backfield. You'd see that same production. He, It really is going to come down to opportunity with him because, again, Zeke doesn't miss time often. And even when he's not 100%, He still loves to play, so he's always going to take the field. If he's got bumps and bruises, dings, they're not going to hold Zeke out. They know he's too important to their offense, and they know they're paying him a lot of money to be on the field. And for for Jerry Jones to swallow his pride and have them not trotting him out every single week is tough. Um, But, yeah, Pollard has – he's got breakaway speed. And he's got hands. So it's like, it could be five touches and he could get you a touchdown on two of them. It's, it's tough to find enough room to get production consistently enough uh, to consider him a flex play when Zeke is healthy or something like that. And, And that's why he's more of just a handcuff that again, tough to keep a guy like that on the roster. But knowing that he could explode if Zeke were to go down, you want that guy. And that reflects your waiver situation with him. (laughs) He Constantly, all you hear is Tony Pollard buzz. But yeah, Zeke's always there.
0: Yeah, I'm just hoping that I pick him up one of these times and they trade him. So the Seahawks for Chris Carson,
1: <laughs> just, just, <laughs> anywhere. something,
0: please. Anywhere. I just, I just want to see Tony Pollard getting like 25 touches a game, <sighs> like kind of like a, what happened with Aaron Jones, where he was getting like sparse touches with Mike McCarthy. And mm-hmm. then that season where they're just like, all right, here's the keys to the car. And he drove that thing. Cause yes, it was. Yes. I, so I just want to see a Tony Pollard situation where he can do his thing because every time he gets an opportunity, it seems like he flashes.
1: Another guy that you mentioned, Aaron Jones is back of blaster. Jamal Williams. And Jamal is now in Detroit. And if anything were to happen to Deandre Swift, I think that Jamal could fill in and do a lot of the same things. He was, he's, he's more of a bruiser than Aaron Jones was, but he still did a lot of the same things. Um, in his four year career, in 27 games that he received 55% or more of offensive snaps, he averaged 14.15 PPR fantasy points. Uh, you bump that up to 60%, he's played 23 games, it goes up to 14.28. And in 11 games where he received 70% or more of the offensive snaps, He averaged 16.99 fantasy points per game. And you've seen it last year. Aaron Jones missed two games. uh, And Jamal Williams had 21.4 and 18.2. He had 4.4 yards per carry on 35 attempts. And he had 10 catches on 11 targets for 64 yards. So the production is there for Jamal Williams. And... I think he can still be involved in this Lions' offense because they're going to need to throw the ball a lot. And you kind of seen Swift struggle with that a little bit last year. He had the wide open catch on the end zone that would have won him a game and just stone hands. And then two years ago, you have Jamal diving in the back of the end zone where Rodgers floated that one up in the corner against the chiefs. So I think that, to keep an eye on that Lions backfield because they never really committed to Swift yet. They've got a whole new regime coming in and you would think that they want to run it enough on both ways to not put that much damage on Swift early. And then on the other end, a team's not scoring any points. So you're not going to get much running production anyways.
0: Yeah. uh it, it doesn't seem like the lions will be leading in very many games. So I don't think that they're going to be pounding the rock with any running back. And if Jamal seems like the better option, when it comes to pass catching, you could see actually a lot of production out of him this year, Uh, just catching swing passes and stuff out of the backfield. Um, There was a quote rolling around from Dan Campbell saying that Jamal plays like a one, a back so it it seems like this new regime does like him and Swift he coming out of Georgia he was this really really good prospect and one of the best pure runners in last year's draft and he he looked good with a little bit of opportunity when he was playing behind Adrian Peterson which I never understood. I think if you got the young guys on a bad team you might as well let them develop and get the touches but now with Jamal there, I think that he'll he'll get some production this year, but absolutely good handcuff. He might be worth rostering, keeping on the bench just in case they do go heavy with him in pass packages when they're down by a lot. Uh, Goff didn't seem like he loved throwing to running backs very much, but it, new system, you never know what it's going to bring especially with the lions and especially with Jared Goff, it can be so unpredictable. So it might not be a bad idea to throw Jamal Williams on the bench through week one or two and just see how that lion's offense is working. And if it's not working out, just drop him for a waiver wire guy like James Robinson and uh, move on with your day.
1: Yeah, there's, there's going to be options always. And, Going into a season, it's not bad to have a guy that could produce off the jump, and especially if you got that a guy that you don't know if he's going to produce. Again, we're going to get some preseason games, but I don't know how much that's going to really tell us about who's leading in a backfield, uh, especially these teams that are getting a lot of new guys, new offenses, uh, a lot of quarterbacks being moved around this off season, two to different teams, so. With a guy that was so successful, obviously, in the LeFleur offense and being behind Aaron Jones and kind of being that little more bruiser through the tackles, change of pace guy, uh, not to mention being in such a high powered offense. You've seen the production there, um, but it's definitely someone to keep an eye on. He, he could blow up a couple times throughout the season. Uh, you've seen big plays from him. And I think he's a guy worth keeping an eye on in Jamal Williams.
0: He's also a lot of fun to watch because he's like a lightning <laughs> in a bottle type of guy where every first down, he's the, the most hyped person on the planet. So I, I, I love watching Jamal. I hope he gets some opportunity in Detroit.
1: He's always jamming in the sidelines. I remember one time on my way home from work, I could see him pulling out from Lambo. He just going crazy in the car. I don't know what he was listening to, but my man's loved it.
0: He's He was my mom's favorite Packer. She's dev- devastated to see him go.
1: Hey, we'll, we'll, still, we'll still get to see him two times a year.
0: Speaking of Packers, we've got A.J. Dillon coming up next, who uh, was a rookie last year, second round out of Boston College. Maybe not a position of need for the Packers last year, and a few people might have been upset about it, but he produced every time he got on the field, and now that running back room is pretty barren behind Aaron Jones, basically only A.J. Dillon and then Kylan Hill, who was drafted this year. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry at Boston College, just a dominant runner. Uh, he has a 26.1% broken tackle rate. I like that. And uh, so a lot of people bring on the Derrick Henry comparisons just when they see him, just the, the mass of a person that he is. And so I'm just going to throw my mind into the hat and say that Derrick Henry only had a 15% broken <sighs> tackle percent. So I got 11% on him, much smaller sample size than Derek Henry had Hey, uh, much
1: bigger quads.
0: <laughs> he averaged 3.5 yards after contact. Um, and Henry averaged 3.6 yards after contact. And he is, I, I think he leads almost every running back with yards after contact alone. Um, and so it's it's pretty impressive that Dylan is kind of on par when it comes to breaking tackles and getting yards after contact because he's a extremely physical running back. He has soft hands. Um three targets, zero drops.
1: <laughs> Ooh, so, look at that. that out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, he, he was the fourth on the depth chart last year behind Aaron Jones, obviously, and then who we just talked about, Jamal Williams, and then Tyler Irvin, who was kind of in and out of the lineup with injuries.
1: Oh, um, the gadget guy, too.
0: Right. And uh, Williams and Tyler Irvin took up 53% of those snaps, and those are completely vacated. So Dylan should be stepping right into a big role next year, even. Yeah. Um, and Jamal Williams and Tyler Irvin didn't play Week 16 last year, and he just had a huge breakout game. Played 60% of the snaps, had 21 carries for 124 yards and two touchdowns, with that totaled up to 25.9 PPR points. And I think he had like one catch for two yards or something like that. Um, but he he should have a, a bigger role this year than he did last year, even. Because given his just mass, I, I feel like he should be getting goal line carries. I, I know Aaron Jones is a huge touchdown guy and he's excellent in the red zone because he's multifaceted where he can go out and run routes and he's a great slasher and make guys miss. But when you have somebody like that, giving him only two carries inside the 10 yard line all season is criminal.
1: Yeah. Especially
0: huge. especially since he converted one of the two for a touchdown. I mean, it seems like it, it, it's just a good idea to have big people running full speed at other big people, but um, maybe that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, Aaron Jones got the big contract this offseason, so it doesn't seem like... The Packers will be deferring away from him in any way, shape, or form. Uh, this offense still, as of right now, is up in the air. It's a mystery. We haven't heard any news on Rodgers if he's coming back. Um, but I'm sure that Jordan Love, if he is playing, will love passing to the, to the running backs. He's going to want to get that ball off his hands as quick as he can. And you got two guys that, like you said, can make plays... When they're catching the ball. I mean, three yards after contact means you're falling forward. Great thing to have on the goal line. Like you said, Um, and you've seen it last year. He was amazing. That one game just totem rock. And Aaron Jones hasn't been the healthiest. It was really weird. Some of his injuries last year, It was the, the calf. And then, all of a sudden, he was good, and then he wasn't good, and then Jamal Williams is starting last second. So I think having him as the handcuff, he's still kind of in that Darrington-Evans, Alexander-Madison-Moore range until you know if Rogers is there because Rogers can make anybody make plays, and... He's the one that drives the offense. He's the reason that we had the highest scoring offense last year. And everyone benefits from that. But until we really know that, A.J. Dillon might not be on many rosters when the season starts.
0: Yeah, there's there's a path where A.J. Dillon is kind of a <laughs> short yardage back or a red zone back where they're pounding it in with him and kind of using them to get short yardage situations, get first downs, and he could have a little bit of fancy relevance if he's snaking touchdowns. Kind of think Zach Moss last year in yep. that Bills offense where he would just come in in the red zone and snake a couple touchdowns and over Devin Singletary. And uh we will also not be touching on that backfield. <laughs> no, no, of, no, no. Outside no. of what I just said, that that is it for the Bills. Um, but I could see AJ Dillon having a similar role to that. Um but outside of that, just basically a, a strong hand handcuff when it comes to that Packers offense because if uh, Aaron Jones were to unfortunately go down for any reason, uh, Dylan would be stepping into a lot of volume with only, I think, Kylan Hill on the depth chart behind him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's nice with Dylan is he benefits from being that power runner. Aaron Jones will bounce it outside. He, he's, he reads the hole. If the hole's not there, he'll bounce it outside. AJ Dylan. The hole's not there. He's probably going to try to go through the hole and then try to break it. Um, So that is a benefit for him. He's a different style of runner, and LaFleur gets creative. Uh, You've seen it. Jamal Williams was less of even a power back compared to A.J. Dillon. So, again, that offense was clicking last year, and I think they're excited to get A.J. Dillon more involved. But it's going to come down to that bad man if he comes back so
0: yeah I I don't think you take a guy in the second round unless you're intending on on using him heavily and I think this the scheme will favor him next year especially like you said that change of pace with Aaron Jones being the home run hitter and AJ Dillon hitting for singles
1: yep and then with with the last tandem in the based on talent group, uh, that Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back situations. You got Ronald Jones and you got Leonard Fournette. Man, I I was so high on Ronald Jones going into this year. And then they are like, hey, let's bring back Fournette. (laughs) I was so mad. Ronald Jones finished RB20 last year. And in seven games, we had 50% or more of the snaps. 17.8 PPR fantasy points. The nine games with 12 plus carries, 5.17 yards per carry. He had such a good regular season, uh, but the only thing that hindered him was he dropped a lot of easy passes and he had some untimely fumbles. And so, Brucerians threw him on the pine. Leonard Fournette, here you come. Leonard Fournette finished RB35. 2017, he was the RB8 in standard and RB9 in PPR. 2019, two years ago, RB13 in standard and RB7 in PPR in that, God forbid, Jacksonville offense. And in the postseason, the man had crazy production in four games. 300 yards and 64 carries, 4.69 yards per carry, three touchdowns. And then it's an excellent catching running back which is why they brought him back to tampa bay because that was not ronald jones strongest area is 18 for 21 for 141 and one touchdown through so the air in the playoffs so you've got these two guys that if either of them go down they'll explode but when you got both of them it's almost hard to even want to play them as a flex because bruce arian's isn't going to be that guy. He's going to be testing out both early, and if one's hot, he's going to ride with the hot hand. And like you seen last year, he, he was not going to let Rojo stay in there if he was dropping passes or if he was fumbling the ball. It, he went straight to Fournette. And so these are guys I think that are worth holding a bench spot because it's not really a handcuff. You're looking at Two guys that can be very productive from week to week. You don't know which one's going to be productive the most for the week. But one of them probably is. And if you have either of them, you're in a strong position.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Colts' backfield early last year where it was kind of just ride the hot hand between JT and Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins for a bit and just basically they would run all of them and see who they had going that game. So if, so a lot of Fournette's a really interesting case because he wanted to get paid and So Jacksonville decided to just let him go because running backs come a dime a dozen in the NFL and they just picked up James Robinson and then they drafted ETN and now they're in a great position at running back again. Mm -hmm. Um, But in in Tampa with Rojo and Fournette, it was a really dynamic tandem last year where the hot hand would just ride the game and was extremely fantasy relevant. And now As uh, Gio Bernard comes into that backfield, it comes a little hazier for for Fournette because he was there. You know, they're down by 12 going into the middle of the third quarter. They throw Lenny in because he was their pass catching guy because Rojo struggled with those drops. So we don't know if Gio is going to be that guy going into next year. So that kind of mucks up. Uh, leonard fournette's fantasy outlook but that's why we're defining them as handcuffs because if fournette or ronald jones were to not be playing then the other one is going to be the workhorse guy who's going to get the the bulk of the workload and then Gio Bernard actually also benefits because he would probably be become that third down pass catching back.
1: Yeah, they brought in Shady McCoy to try and be that last year, but it was kind of past his prime. You didn't see him hit the field too often, and a guy that you've seen co- completely disappearing is Keyshawn Vaughn. He's he is basically irrelevant in this running back room completely. So seeing how they use geo compared to Fournette being the catching back would be really interesting. And then the only other downside about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers running attack is that Brady loves to call his own number on the goal line. So I know there are a couple games where man, six more points from Ronald Jones would have been, Ooh, he would have been blowing up some of my DFS lineups. You know what I'm talking about? But Brady likes to call his own numbers. He's, he likes getting in there, getting his rushing touchdowns, and then
0: making the, the
1: stupid bowl. The goal
0: line fades to Mike Evans as well.
1: Yeah. Two passes, two catches, two yards, two touchdowns. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, man, I want Fournette so bad. Because yeah. Because uh, <laughs> after this year, another guy. Imagine if he goes to the Jets. <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're going to
0: be sending every free agent to the Jets I think with uh their running back room.
1: Yeah, you just you want either of these guys just to get full opportunity for a season and they're probably top 10 running back. I mean I mean clearly Fortnite has yeah. been. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think Ronald Jones would have been close if he was getting more of that passing work last year.
0: Let's move on. I think we're on our last category with these mystery men.
1: Yeah. You look at the Panthers last year. It was really weird to see CMC go down. Probably the most high usage offensive player. That's not a quarterback went down and you see his backup in Mike Davis fill in 75, 80% of that production. And now with Mike Davis in Atlanta, you're looking at the rookie Chuba Hubbard and so if anything happens to CMC you don't know if that's going to be the guy because Hubbard kind of disappeared off the top guys in college when last year started rolling around
0: Chuba is an interesting case because he really suffered due to this like last college season with with covid i very happily blame covid for every poor college performance last year <laughs> mm. because i i just believe in these guys and i believe in their talent um yeah his his sophomore season in in college was like one of the most more dominant seasons that we've seen and he was like top 3 running backs with etn and you know nazi kind of made his way into that conversation and then with this last season he just kind of fell off the map because he played so poorly and if cmc were to go down given mike davis's breakout fantasy season And I'm assuming Mike Davis will be incredible in Atlanta. And he is like a must own when it comes to like top two tiers of running backs, just because of the sheer amount of volume that he's going to have there and what he proved last year. Um, But when it comes to Hubbard, he can slide right into that C-Mac role based on his sophomore year tape. But if that junior year Hubbard is, is there, it's going to be a little murkier uh, to say the least. But yeah, he, he averaged 6.4 yards a carry in 2019. He had 2,094 rushing yards and then he goes into that, that next COVID season Where he only plays seven games, right, but uh he only had six hundred twenty-five yards. And that's projects out to be about twelve hundred yards in a regular season, which isn't even close to the production that he was putting up the year prior. So I I'm really, really excited to see if Hubbard can kind of produce. I, I wanna see him featured a little more often than as sparingly as Mike Davis was used before McCaffrey went down. But if that were to happen again, I think that Hubbard could be extremely productive and a great handcuff to have.
1: And they're listing him as the second running back behind CMC right now. Um, So that's positive. Uh, You've seen guys like Trenton Cannon, get a little work last year. We had some mild production, but I, I think if anything were to happen, to CMC, they would be lean on Hubbard to fill that role. I don't think they'd want to try to go by committee. Everything is designed to have the one guy carry all the weight in that backfield, catch all the passes, take all the carries. I would think that, hubbard would be that guy i don't think they would stretch away from a guy that they drafted what fourth round yeah so
0: he's also pretty young he's only 22 um and he wasn't a a great pass catcher in college at oklahoma state but i i don't think that's because he can't be a good pass catcher. I think that's just kind of the scheme that they went with. And because he was such a dynamic runner that they didn't see the need to kind of insert him into the passing game. But I'm sure that he, he'd be more than good enough when it comes to the passing game. He's not going to quite be Christian McCaffrey because nobody is. I, I think that especially in the new offense with Sam Darnold, he, he could be productive in that slot. I think most NFL caliber running backs could be productive in that spot.
1: Yeah, if if you're getting funneled everything out of the backfield, uh, I would I would sure hope that you could see at least RB2 production, let alone the way you get CMC as the one oh one in most redrafts, if you're starting a dynasty, I think you still taking him top five for sure. Um, Sorry. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's going to be super flex. You're taking c Mac oh, 101. hundred percent, hundred percent. So it, it'll be interesting to see You got another quarterback in a new situation in Carolina in Sam Darnold too. And then we will see ghosts <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust anybody that said he was seeing ghosts. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in Carolina this year.
0: Yeah, <laughs> let's let's go to a completely different scenario where we have no idea who's going to be getting funneled the ball besides Devontae Smith. Um, the Eagles' backfield is... Uh, a weird thing because everybody expected Miles Sanders to be this this bona fide RB one. He had the talent to do it, uh, but it just hasn't quite happened. He's been dinged up, and the production has been odd. He's had Wentz and Jalen Hurts running his offense, and not not even like peak MVP once for like for that matter but Kenneth Gainwell is who I want to get to. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Eagles offense kind of broke my brain for a second there.
1: Uh, r- refuses to speak about the Jets but wants to talk about the Eagles offense. Uh, I, I It's
0: because I really like Kenneth Gainwell coming up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so So Miles Sanders, when he went down, Boston Scott stepped into his role and produced very well in fantasy. Yes, sir. had
1: a few shares of him.
0: Yep, and he was a very good pass-catching back, coming out of that backfield, getting great PPR production. So Boston Scott is going to be a free agent after this season. So Kenneth Gainwell can slot right into that role and be the Miles Sanders handcuff. So what I'm hoping Kenneth Gainwell is, he's one of these elite pass-catching running backs, and he was an incredible receiver coming out of Memphis. And it's just unfortunate that he got stuck on the Eagles with this weird, weird influx running back position. But if anything were to happen to Miles Sanders this year, he'll he'll be getting some some action. But if Boston Scott's not back on the team after this season, I can see Kenneth Gainwell being their second running back on the death chart. And if Miles Sanders were to have anything to happen, happen to him there, Kenneth could be a a huge producer.
1: Yeah, Boston Scott was not very good on the ground when he did fill in for Miles Sanders in those few games. All of his production came through the air and receiving touchdowns. Uh, so if Gainwell is a better runner, not alone a pass catcher, I'm sure he can shoot up the depth chart and they'll have no problem letting Boston Scott go. I, I wouldn't have any problem letting Boston <laughs> Scott go. Um, so, yeah, it, I, he kind of fits into that Gio Bernard role where hopefully they get him in on some, some third downs. I, it's just so hard to know if they're going to be throwing to the running backs or if they're going to try to run an option. Now that you have Jalen Hurts, who showed last year, he's really good at running the ball, too. That's that's the new thing with quarterbacks. I mean, you've seen Kyler Murray basically take all the running back production out of that Arizona backfield. Kenyon Drake was projected to be like one of these breakout candidates, but Kyler Murray took every rushing touchdown from him. And so I think you could see a similar thing with the Eagles that Hurts was probably going to call his own number down on the goal line rather than handing the ball off, let alone getting it to Kenneth Gainwell, but even Miles Sanders.
0: Yeah, uh, I that's that's why I'm kind of taking this year and and willing to, like, overlook it as kind of just a weird season for the Eagles, because it doesn't sound like Jalen Hurts is like their guy. Um, so if they suck this year, which I project they will. <laughs> oh, they're, they're going to be back. They can get a quarterback in one of those like top five draft slots. And it ends up being a pocket passer. There's a there's a chance that that Kenneth Gainwell could have some some third down fancy production.
1: They're gonna be and... bad. This team's <laughs> gonna be disgusting to watch on all facets. I don't want to see any Eagles anything. I'm avoiding the team offensively. Come like I don't want anyone on this Eagles team. I don't want anyone on their defense. I don't (laughs) want anyone on their offense. I just want to ignore this team (laughs) completely.
0: All right. So uh, do you have any other handcuffs that you would like to hit on?
1: I think that is everybody that is the most relevant uh, guys that you want to keep your eyes on the most that could see the most production, could fill into those starting roles more seamlessly and who could still be out there and available uh, when the year starts, depending on what kind of league year.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, I'm happy to wrap up that portion, and we can swiftly move on to our our patriotic second half of this podcast. So uh, we're going to be kind of going over this – this weird team USA roster uh, when it comes to their, their basketball team, because they lost to Nigeria yep, and they lost to Australia. Yep. And then they, they just barely beat the last team they played.
1: Yeah. Argentina uh, is rolling out 41 year old Louis Scola. So the, the construction of this roster is incredibly weird uh you've got basically one center in bam at a bio uh they have now added javel mcgee as a little depth <laughs> replacing kevin love who who opted out
0: thank god for javel mcgee
1: the the 12-man roster is kevin durant damian lillard jason tatum bam Adebayo, bio zach levine draymond green Jeremy Grant, and then Chris Milton, Drew Holiday, and Devin Booker, who are coming from the finals, and then you've got Keldon Johnson replacing Brad Beal, who is out due to COVID nineteen protocols, and then you've got Javale McGee replacing Kevin Love. Like I said, so you got three guys coming over from the finals. This team had, I think, six guys available. Cause Zach Levine was in protocol. Jeremy Grant was in protocol and then Bradley Beal was off the team to protocol.
0: Talk about weird construction of a roster. I don't know who decided that we're going to have all scorers and Draymond green on a roster. And that's probably going to work. Um, but it's just the, the, types of guys just don't fit. Like it's, it's a puzzle of pieces that just won't go together. And G pop has to force them to go together. And I, I I think that we have some, some solutions on our mind.
1: Yeah. You've got the one ball handler, true ball handler, true point guard and Damian Lillard. Uh, Drew holiday is a good backup in this situation, but he's still not a traditional point guard. You've got earlier on, you had Draymond green playing the backup center position. And then you've got a bunch of basically isolation scores. Uh, So there's obviously you've got the list of guys who have opted out. Uh, LeBron James hasn't played international basketball since 2012 uh that was his last olympics he opted out of the 2016 games the, the, i'm assuming he never really plays nationally again he's usually going so deep into the playoffs every year that his offseason is short as it is that he probably doesn't want to go around the world he did it three times already he's medaled three times yeah. he, he's he's seen it he's done it I think he wants to spend time with his family. I think that was the reason behind moving out to L.A. Probably oh, made uh, some movies? Yeah, Space Jam. <laughs> have you seen it yet? Yeah, I have. <laughs> no spoilers. I've, I've yet to check it out.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, that can be a different podcast.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, also Anthony Davis opted out. Steph Curry opted out. Chris Paul opted out. Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry are all guys that uh, just straight up opted out. Uh, Donovan Mitchell opted out due to his ankle injury in the playoffs. Kawhi's got the torn ACL, uh, Kyrie and Harden both opted out due to their injuries. Uh, John Wall was one of the finalists. There was a, a pool of 57 finalists, um, that was created in March that the selection committee would choose the rest of the team. And so you got guys like John Wall uh Jalen Brown out with the wrist injury and then a couple interesting ones like Gordon Hayward he was out in May with a foot injury it was a foot sprain I'm assuming he could probably play now uh Miles Turner had I think turf toe uh which I think that was also back in May so I mean he could probably play now but you still could found guys that made more sense out there. So the way I reconstructed mine is I went with four guards, six forwards, and two centers.
0: So so did you pick just based on this list of 57 finalists? No. Okay. No. Okay. Neither did I, because <laughs> you, I wanted my team to be fun.
1: Yeah. Some names in here, like... No offense to Duncan Robinson. He's a fantastic (laughs) shooter, but I don't want to watch Duncan Robinson in the Olympics. I don't want to watch Kyle Kuzma in the Olympics. No offense, (laughs) Derek White. (laughs) I don't like your hair. I don't want to watch you in the Olympics. All right.
0: All right. We don't need to take personal shots at my guy, Derek White.
1: I'm I'm sorry. Because
0: Trey Young is on my roster. (laughs)
1: All right, hey, that's a good place to start. I too have a trade. All right, if you got to remember a lot of guys that are not American, you've got Embiid. He is not eligible for USA. Jokic, not eligible for USA. Doncic, not eligible for USA. Shea Gilders Alexander, not eligible for USA. Shea so, if
0: Alexander's not eligible for the USA?
1: The man's Canadian. All right, so keep that in mind. If you have him on your team,
0: yeah, I'll I'll have to take him off my
1: list. <laughs> so anyway, let let's start with guys that are on the current roster that you you'd still be bringing, right?
0: So with with the uh, the Olympic teams, I kind of want to see these younger guys, and I I was kind of rattling around the idea of years four and under kind of get to run this team but regardless a few veterans is nice the guys i was keeping is booker kevin
1: durant and bam at a bio okay yep I, i had i had kept both durant and bam
0: so so how about you just give me your ideal team and uh we we can go from there
1: all right so I I kept Damian Lillard, I think, with all those other point guards opting out with Steph and Kyrie and James Harden that you need the lead point guard that's qualified and other guys are going to listen to. Um, I think Pop kind of made Dame his poster child for this Olympics. He, he's had him at the podium with. Or in interviews and stuff like that, so I think Dame's kind of like a core piece of this roster, and I think it's important to keep that around. Uh, you have a trusty ball handler. He's an assist guy. He can shoot the lights out. So you, your offense is going to be in good hands with a guy like Lillard running the show. Uh, I also think Zach Levine was like a really good guy to have on this roster. I he had an amazing year, so I think it's Credited, he hasn't played in a long time because the Bulls somehow missed the playoffs after that Vooch trade. Um, but he had such a good year and, and he's becoming a well-rounded player. Not just a good stats, bad team guy like he was for a lot of years. So I kept him around. I considered him as a guard. Forwards, I kept. I kept Durant. I, th- I think Jason Tatum definitely deserves to be representing us. And then Draymond Green as the another veteran forward. And then centers I kept was BAM. So I've got uh, six guys on that other roster that I kept around. I took Drew, Chris, and Booker off because they just got done playing the finals. Like, I don't know how much of an off season you guys are looking at if you're going right from the finals and then flying to Tokyo. So that was my reason to taking those three guys off. And then, yeah, I I wanted to add a lot of, a lot of young guys were my positions I filled in with one exception. So at at the guard spots, I had a Trey Young and Lamella Ball, two guys that are super fun to watch. And really good passers, really good ball handlers, and they can fill in and run an offense, fine. You're going to have regular offensive construction with guys handling the ball like that. And then as far as my forwards, why wouldn't you have Zion Williamson? Mm. Just let him go destroy the rest of the world. (laughs) The, The league should be happy that Zion isn't going to be playing against them for once. And they can have fun. Again, you you almost want to create an all-star roster when you're going to the Olympics. But you also want to get guys that you know are going to take it seriously and get the job done. Which is why I also think you need to have the greatest Olympian of all time Please. in men's basketball, Carmel Anthony. He wasn't even on this finalist's roster that they released in March.
0: It's embarrassing.
1: But you have Kyle Kuzma. You have Kevin Walker, who was rough this season. <laughs> this season.
0: Joe Harris.
1: Um, hey, Joe Harris represented the team in the Field World Cup. So, I mean, he'd been there. He'd done it. But, Sorry, Joe Harris. but still, like, Mello is arguably the greatest Olympian men's basketball player of all time. He's got, I don't
0: even know if it's
1: arguable anymore. <clears throat> it's not even close. The man had, like... 37 and 16 minutes one game. Yeah. Like you don't you don't go away from that. He holds the record for the most Olympics. He's medaled four times. And he is the like the ultimate veteran to have on a USA roster. I, I don't know how you go away from him. And then the last two guys I had was Julius Randle at forward, another guy like, like Zach Levine fantastic year and I think he definitely deserves a spot and then my other center uh, behind Bam Adebayo was Jarrett Allen because the fro needs to go flung across to <laughs> Tokyo and the man will try to block every dunk and the man will try to dunk on absolutely anyone and you'll love to see that especially in international play like when DeMar DeRozan went for the 360 poster against china one year that's the type of stuff you want to see you want to see the guys that are going to have the most fun out there
0: yeah i think jared allen would kind of remind me of like a tyson chandler type guy when he played in the olympics yeah it's just a
1: guy to dunk on people
0: yeah just these aggressive guys that are gonna attack the ball and attack the rim and so yeah, he's he's also on mine. I'll I'll quick run through through mine, which I just quickly edited based on the SGA uh, omission <laughs> that I had to make. Um, so I also you you've convinced me to put Zach Levine on there. Um, okay. So so mine is Trey Young, John Morant, Lamella Ball, Zach Levine, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum. Carmelo Anthony, Zion Williamson, Julius Randle, Bam, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. Okay. So, I, I, looking at the centers on this finalists list, it's, it's uh, interesting. We, yeah, we, we have the best one with Bam Adebayo, in my opinion. Yep. And as far as un-
1: American centers, which yeah. is the thing you got to remember. Yeah.
0: Right. And he's he's vastly undersized when it comes to these Olympics where we're playing these these giant foreign centers. Yeah. And but the, the the list to choose from is DeAndre Jordan. These are true centers that are eligible and were finalists. We have DeAndre Jordan, Andre Drummond, Dwight Howard, Brooke Lopez, and Mason Plumley.
1: And Montrez Harrell.
0: Yeah. You know, when I was going through, I I thought of him as a forward because he's like 6'9.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like, just. I mean, Dwight Howard, another guy that's been there and done it. Brooke Lopez has played in FIBA, I think, 2018. He played. um, I know Andre Drummond was also had international play. So, like, these guys have already done it, they've already got their time. But as far as us having dominant centers, America doesn't really have anyone that is like off the charts. Most of the time when they have a center, it is just the guy to catch lobs, dunk on people and rebound.
0: Yeah. Uh, And so that's why I wanted to kind of include Mobley because he's a versatile big man and one of the more exciting prospects in this upcoming draft. So I, I'd really like to see him do do his thing because Team USA has a history of bringing a senior or someone who is draft eligible to the Olympics. When they did it with Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. they did it just Christian Leitner was one of those yep. guys on the dream team. Um, so I would, I would be really interested to see them bring that kind of tradition back and bring either, like, a Cade Cunningham or an Evan Mobley, but obviously they're not going to be doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this this team is in sore need of rim protection and playmaking, and so that's kind of why I built my roster with, like, the Trey Young, John Morant, and LaMelo point guard trio, three of the best young playmakers in the league that are, like, willing passers, kind of true point guards, but can also get you a bucket if you need it. Yep, and then the the rim protector and the the lob finishers with ba- Bam Jarrett and Mobley is is kind of where I was going with scores to fill in in between.
1: Yeah, you've got Kevin Durant, who is a certified bucket, uh, Damian Lillard, certified bucket. So it's like the other guys that you've got to fill in the roster don't necessarily need to be these high usage guys. And a lot of the guys that they have on the current roster are pretty much one-on-one players. Like we mentioned before, with the lack of any sort of ball handler as a guard outside of Damian Lillard. Um, I think Trey young rightfully deserves to be on the roster. I don't know why you left him out.
0: Yeah. especially since (laughs) he's a young player that wants to be on team USA.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he, he he showed it on social media, and like a guy like Lamelo Ball, imagine imagine him, Trey, and Zion on the court at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. With like Lamelo, John ja Morant, and and Zion would just be an electric, yeah, court
1: pairing. And like Lamelo's big enough if you could run. Yeah, you could run both of those guards and then LaMelo out there to play forward, plus Zion, and then Jared Allen. Yeah. That's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a fun group, guys. You're, that would make me to want look to watch. More fun.
0: And um, a, a lot of these guys, like uh, uh, LaMelo Ball and like a Zach Levine, um, Zion, Jared Allen, are... Are people that uh, haven't played a lot of important basketball games? Yeah, definitely. And they would they would just get so much experience playing for a team that has like a common goal and a common purpose, and playing under a seasoned coach with G Pop, who can just instill all of this wisdom onto them. And it, it's just like a shame that we're bringing these guys that sure they're they're extraordinarily great basketball players and like i'm not trying to take anything away from them we're just two guys yeah, on a podcast 100%. but it's just the roster construction is really strange and it's weird that these young players that are up and coming that the nba should be getting uh like spectators excited for aren't the on the forefront of these olympic rosters like these Trey Youngs, these Lamellos, these Zions. Zion. Like Zion yeah. should be marketed as the face of the NBA uh, coming up. And it's it's just, I, I'm i not sure what the thought process is. I don't know if the Pelicans are afraid that he might get injured, so they're keeping him out of it. Because that's, uh, that's the only thing that would make sense to me why Zion isn't on this team, because he's one of the most like exceptionally watchable, exciting young athletes in the NBA.
1: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people talk about the, uh, the league pass teams that you want to watch. You've got those guys, you got Lamella ball in Charlotte. You don't get many nationally televised games by them. So it's, you've got to go out of your way to watch them. And then you realize that that team was super fun to watch. Just LaMelo's court vision, LaMelo's passing his ball handling and Trey Young, same thing. He he basically brought the nutmeg into the league last year. Trevor Ariza wanted to fight him because he <laughs> nutmegged him, and then he throws a lob off the glass in a playoff series <laughs> Over to John a Collins, Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> so it's like you you've got guys that can make basketball so much fun, and obviously you want to win, and that's why you bring the cornerstones like Lillard and Durant and Carmelo along but you could have so much more fun with this roster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like another thing that they could benefit like really greatly from is these like I don't know if you've watched the games, but I, I haven't. The the refereeing in these games is refreshing because every game is sort of like the finals where you're not getting these ticky tack jump shot fouls and you're not going to like chicken wing a guy and get an and one on like a uncontested post hook. It's, it's really like, it's like I said, it's refreshing to watch these games and, and see these refs kind of call it, without being, like, tricked by these players who are trying to draw fouls.
1: And with FIBA rules, you've got all the different rules about the defensive goaltending. You can pull the ball off the cylinder, so it's like, why wouldn't you want a guy like Jared Allen, who is one of the best rebounders in the league, just down there, just cleaning glass, saving you buckets? I... I don't know the, the the lack of size on the actual roster. I mean, I'm Javale McGee is obviously going to help that, but Javale McGee is no Jared Allen. You'd think you'd want to get more household names out there. The NBA is the top basketball league in the world, so it's like, why aren't you pushing the brand as much as you can with guys that, in my opinion, are better than a lot of guys? that are on the rosters, again, not trying to take anything away. I mean, Chris Milton, Jualaday, just won the NBA Finals. Booker was there leading that Suns team and scoring, but there's, there's a lot that could have been done to make this way more fun and I think probably help us be more competitive and make us, put us in a better position to win these games than having Kevin Durant, ISO, Jason Tatum, your turn to ISO. Let's uh, jump on over to uh, Chris Milton, who's now going to ISO. Oh, Devin Booker, his turn. He's going to ISO. <laughs> so you're just going to see a lot of it constantly. It, it's not going to be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of watching the Celtics last year where it's like, oh, hey, this team is actually pretty good. And then it's, oh, actually, they're going to ISO every possession. Yeah. So it, I, I totally agree. I mean... When Draymond is probably your best, like, pure playmaker, it's just a a poorly constructed roster.
1: Anyways, that is what we have on this fine Thursday night.
0: Joe, I think you're forgetting something.
1: Oh. (laughs) The heat check.
0: A friend and I got into an argument. Uh, His name is Darius. You're familiar.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, And he told me that a hamburger is a sandwich. And I'm here to tell you that (laughs) a hamburger is not a sandwich. Okay? It's it's meat between bread, yes. But it is a whole different way of constructing (laughs) the... The food—it's a completely different subcategory. It—it it may be in—in in theory a sandwich, but in all reality, it's a hamburger. It's just—just just totally something separate. I—I—it it was a long, long argument that I had. I—I I still still am convinced that that a hamburger will never be a sandwich. A hamburger is a hamburger. I'm going to hold that firm for the rest of my life. A hot dog also is not a sandwich. I've seen that going around. I I think a sandwich needs to be cold or toasted. And a Philly cheesesteak is as far as we can stray away from that.
1: All right, I'll give you a definition. A sandwich, the noun. An item or food consisting of two pieces of bread with meat, cheese, or other filling between them eaten as a light meal.
0: Right. Would you say a burger is a light meal?
1: To some it might be. (laughs) But the thing I always struggle with on this exact topic is you take that hamburger off, you put chicken on it. That's a chicken sandwich. Okay. So So how can... Just because it's it a, a meat patty, sandwich. Just because it's a meat patty between a bun. You want to classify it something different.
0: So so here's here's where I'm I'm gonna say, chicken is a light meat. It, it's notoriously something you would eat if you're dieting. You're gonna take red meat out of your diet because you're gonna go on a lighter food, which is like a chicken a turkey a so on and so forth. Bird, but when you when you have a hamburger, it's a fatty beef patty. It is not something light to eat for lunch.
1: Why do they call it a chicken sandwich?
0: Cuz it's, it's a chicken sandwich. Do they do so, they call it a hamburger sandwich, Joseph?
1: So you're saying all right, all right. I didn't think so. <laughs> So you're looking at a burger, yeah. so it's the burger itself that is what's defining this, not the right. fact that it's on a bun.
0: Correct. It, it's, it's a hamburger because of the contents. And like I said, it's it's a sandwich in theory. <laughs> I said that before. It's, it's a sandwich in theory, but y- there's nobody in their right mind. That's going to look at a hamburger and say, oh, yeah, that's that's a sandwich. That's it, it's not not a thing.
1: All right. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, because if you look at a menu, right? Yep. You're going to see sandwiches. Then you see burgers as, a, as its whole own section. Right. So. That's fair. That's fair. I mean. We can agree to disagree. <laughs> I would. I guess I this is why it's a hot take. That, that's true. That is true. This is quite the heat check. <laughs> um, I, I guess I need to step up my heat checks. Uh, but uh, I'll say that mine is that uh, a Damian Lillard is not on the Portland Trailblazers. By the end of this next season. I think they're, I think it's blown up. I think he's probably going to end up, unfortunately, in Philly. Granted, I don't know what that means for Ben Simmons because I would not want Ben Simmons. I'm glad he's not playing for Australia. I don't think Australia wants him to be playing for him. <laughs> but the dude's got the yips. The dude's scared to shoot. The dude's too stubborn to shoot. And uh, Dame Lillard solves a lot of Philly's problems.
0: Do you think there's any situation where, like, the Blazers take on Ben Simmons without taking on a bunch of draft picks as well?
1: Not a chance. Not a chance.
0: Because, in in my humble opinion, Ben Simmons and Dame Lillard are in two different stratospheres when it comes to
1: oh, uh, hundred Oh, 100%. Basketball. Hundred um, percent. I always thought that Draymond Green would be like he like Draymond is the piece that is missing to the Blazers, just because he, he could you could run the exact same thing they run Golden State with. Granted, McCollum's not the defender that Clay is, or what well, Clay was. Right. But you've got Dame, you've got. McCollum and then now you've got Norman Powell and then so if you had that guy in Draymond that can take the ball out of Dame's hands is not going to worry about sucking up really much offensive uh, usage but can still make all the passes he'll guard the best guy on the other team and he's always going to be trying I think that he was always that missing piece uh, granted Draymond Green's never going to be off of the Golden State Warriors for everything he's done for him. Um, but you got Ben Simmons who has all the Draymond-esque qualities except the Draymond itself because he is very much different mentality wise than Draymond is.
0: Yeah you'd almost say that Draymond's the like the epitome of irrational confidence guy.
1: Yeah yeah where Ben Simmons is I have no confidence at all guy right now. And that's, that's a big problem. So I, it's tough to say, but I don't think there's a chance that Ben Simmons returns to Philly.
0: All right. Well, there's your heat checks for this week. I hope everybody has a wonderful day and an even better week. And we'll see you next time on the Firestarters.
1: Yes, sir.